The Law School of America Treatment by the Internal Revenue Service Prior to the Internal Revenue Service Restructuring and Reform Act of 1998, the 1998 Act, the Internal Revenue Service had defined a tax protester scheme as any scheme without basis in law or fact for the ostensible purpose of expressing dissatisfaction with the substance, form, or administration of the tax laws be either interfering with tax administration or attempting to illegally avoid or reduce tax liabilities. The IRS has not released records indicating whom the agency defined as illegal tax protesters, coded as TC-148. In testimony before Congress in 1997, former IRS historian Shelley L. Davis contended that the IRS kept lists of citizens for no reason other than that their political activities might have offended someone at the IRS and she charged that anyone who offers even legitimate criticism of the tax collector is a tax protester. After the 1997 congressional hearings, Congress responded with the 1998 Act. Subsection A of Section 3707 of the 1998 Act now prohibits officers and employees of the Internal Revenue Service from designating a taxpayer as an illegal tax protester or using any similar designation for a taxpayer. By contrast, Subsection B of Section 3707 provides an officer or employee of the Internal Revenue Service may designate any appropriate taxpayer as a non-filer, but shall remove such designation once the taxpayer has filed income tax returns for two consecutive taxable years and paid all taxes shown on such returns. The IRS has prescribed procedures for its personnel to handle frivolous returns, whether considered valid returns or not in the Frivolous Return Program section of the Internal Revenue Manual. The IRS has concluded, in Service Center Advice 200,107,034 dated November 15, 2000, that the statutory prohibition on the use of the term illegal tax protester by IRS personnel does not prohibit the IRS from maintaining a database of frivolous tax return filers as part of its Frivolous Return Program. IRS Advice 200,107,034 states, in part, The Frivolous Return Program and Examination has the specific assignment of processing assessments of frivolous return penalties pursuant to Section 6702. The employees of that unit receive documents from throughout the country that IRS employees believe may qualify as frivolous returns under Section 6702. The employees review the documents and determine how to proceed. When the documents come into the Frivolous Return Program, employees enter initial data into a computerized inventory database. Initial data includes name, social security number, and tax examiner assigned the case. Later, a tax examiner reviews the documents to see if they qualify as frivolous. If the documents meet the frivolous test, the tax examiner does a compliance check to see if the taxpayer is properly filing returns. If the taxpayer is properly filing returns and is not potentially subject to a frivolous return penalty, then the tax examiner deletes the individual from the database. According to the IRS, Congress enacted Section 3707 because of its concern that taxpayers may be stigmatized by a designation as an illegal tax protester. Under Section 3707A2, the IRS is required to remove illegal tax protester designations from its individual master file and disregard any illegal tax protester designation in a place other than the individual master file in the case of any illegal tax protester's designation made on or before July 22, 1998, the date of the enactment of Section 3707. Although Section 3707 prohibits the IRS from designating taxpayers as illegal tax protesters, 
it does provide that the IRS may designate any appropriate taxpayer as a non-filer. However, the non-filer designation must be removed once the taxpayer has filed income tax returns for two consecutive years and paid all taxes shown on the returns. Section 3707b. We conclude that Congress was concerned that innocent taxpayers may have been mislabeled as illegal tax protesters. However, Congress did not intend to limit the IRS's ability to maintain records and to make designations, other than the illegal tax protesters designation, where such designations are appropriate. As a result of the enactment of sections 3707 and 6702, the IRS has tried to balance these competing obligations by focusing on the conduct of the taxpayers and specifically identifying those frivolous arguments asserted rather than applying a general label of tax protester. The Criminal Investigation C. Division of the Internal Revenue Service investigates reports of violations of the federal criminal tax statutes, including tax evasion under 26 U.S.C. Section 7201, willful failure to file tax returns or pay tax under 26 U.S.C. Section 7203, willful filing of false returns under 26 U.S.C. Section 7206, and violations of other statutes, and refers tax cases to the Tax Division of the U.S. Department of Justice for prosecution. In July 2008, the Office of the Treasury Department's Inspector General for Tax Administration reported that the number of federal criminal tax investigations referred by the Internal Revenue Service to the Justice Department is at an eight-year high. According to the report, the fiscal year 2007 ended with 4,600 investigations. The increase is nearly 50% from fiscal year 2002 to 2007. The report also concluded that federal criminal tax convictions increased by 6.7% from fiscal year 2006 to fiscal year 2007. The number of persons convicted in fiscal year 2007 was 2,155. Treatment by the U.S. Department of Justice In United States v. Amman in 1981, Alan Amon was convicted of filing a false withholding allowance certificate under 26 U.S.C. Section 7205. Rather than having been indicted by a grand jury, Amon had been charged by the U.S. Department of Justice in a document called an information. He appealed the conviction, in part on the ground that the government's prosecution of him was unconstitutionally selective. The United States Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit noted that the trial court had agreed that Amon was selected for prosecution because he is an active and outspoken protester. The trial court ruled that Amon's status as an active protester was insufficient to establish selective prosecution and that no illegal discrimination occurs where the government prosecutes individuals for actions they take in failing to comply with tax laws where an effect of the prosecution is to dissuade others from engaging in that kind of tax protest. The Court of Appeals agreed stating, merely showing that the government elected, under established IRS directives, to prosecute an individual because he was vocal in opposing voluntary compliance with a federal income tax law, without also establishing that others similarly situated were not prosecuted and that the prosecution was based on racial, religious or other impermissible considerations, does not demonstrate an unconstitutionally selective prosecution. The Department of Justice may obtain a federal court ruling to the effect that a specific tax protester activity constitutes the promotion of an illegal tax shelter under Internal Revenue Code Section 6700, 26 U.S.C. Section 6700, and may obtain a court order prohibiting that activity under 26 U.S.C. Section 7408, as it did in the case of United States v. Robert L. Schultz, We the People Foundation for Constitutional Education, 
Incorporated, and We the People Congress, Incorporated. The Tax Division of the U.S. Department of Justice prosecutes violations of the federal criminal tax statutes, generally after an investigation and referral of a case by the Criminal Investigation Division of the Internal Revenue Service. See, for example, subsection D of 26 U.S.C. section 7602. As of February 2008, the Department of Justice was reported to be planning a crackdown on the so-called tax protester movement. United States Assistant Attorney General Nathan Hockman, the head of the Tax Division of the Justice Department, stated, too many people succumb to the fallacy, the illusion, that you don't have to pay any tax under any set of conditions. That is a growing problem. According to a Bloomberg News report, the U.S. government has a 97% conviction rate in criminal tax denier cases. On April 9, 2008, Hockman announced the launch of the National Tax Defier Initiative, also known as the Tax Def Initiative. Responses Many United States courts of appeals have made blanket statements repudiating tax protester arguments. For example, see the Seventh Circuit case of United States v. Cheek. For the record, we note that the following beliefs, which are stock arguments of the tax protester movement, have not been, nor ever will be, considered objectively reasonable in this circuit. 1. The belief that the 16th Amendment to the Constitution was improperly ratified and therefore never came into being. 2. The belief that the 16th Amendment is unconstitutional generally. 3. The belief that the income tax violates the takings clause of the 5th Amendment. 4. The belief that the tax laws are unconstitutional. 5. The belief that wages are not income and therefore are not subject to federal income tax laws. 6. The belief that filing a tax return violates the privilege against self-incrimination, and 7. The belief that Federal Reserve notes do not constitute cash or income. Arguments about constitutionality. The Supreme Court of the United States addressed tax protester arguments in Cheek v. United States. John L. Cheek, a tax protester, had been prosecuted for tax evasion under 26 U.S.C. Section 7201. In response to Mr. Cheek's arguments on appeal, the court stated, Claims that some of the provisions of the tax code are unconstitutional are submissions of a different order. They do not arise from innocent mistakes caused by the complexity of the Internal Revenue Code. Rather, they reveal full knowledge of the provisions at issue and a studied conclusion, however wrong, that those provisions are invalid and unenforceable. Thus, in this case, Cheek paid his taxes for years, but after attending various seminars and based on his own study, he concluded that the income tax laws could not constitutionally require him to pay a tax. The court continued, We do not believe that Congress contemplated that such a taxpayer, without risking criminal prosecution, could ignore the duties imposed upon him by the Internal Revenue Code and refuse to utilize the mechanisms provided by Congress to present his claims of invalidity to the courts and to abide by their decisions. There is no doubt that Cheek, from year to year, was free to pay the tax that the law purported to require, file for a refund and, if denied, present his claims of invalidity, constitutional or otherwise, to the courts. See 26 U.S.C. 7422. Also, without paying the tax, he could have challenged claims of tax deficiencies in the tax court, 6213, with the right to appeal to a higher court if unsuccessful. 7482A, 1. Cheek took neither course in some years, and, when he did, was unwilling to accept the outcome. As we see it, 
he is in no position to claim that his good faith belief about the validity of the Internal Revenue Code negates willfulness or provides a defense to criminal prosecution under 7201 and 7203. Of course, Cheek was free in this very case to present his claims of invalidity and have them adjudicated, but, like defendants in criminal cases in other contexts who willfully refuse to comply with the duties placed upon them by the law, he must take the risk of being wrong. After a remand by the Supreme Court, Mr. Cheek was ultimately convicted, and the conviction was upheld on appeal. The Supreme Court refused to hear Mr. Cheek's petition for review of his conviction after the remand, and he was sent to prison. If a jury finds that a criminal defendant had a subjective good-faith belief due to a misunderstanding based on the complexity of the tax law and not based on an argument about its constitutionality, that belief may be a defense with respect to the element of willfulness, even if the belief is unreasonable. This is due to the general mens rea requirement needed to hold someone criminally liable and the specific intent required by the word willfully in the statute, as defined in Cheek and other cases, see specific intent crimes. Persons acquitted of criminal tax evasion may still be sued civilly, and may be required to pay the taxes assessed, along with civil penalties. The Law School of America The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America